Hi, and welcome to this reading of the Business Record, Central Iowa's Business Weekly. I'm Pat Steele. All material heard on IRIS is intended for the use of listeners with print disabilities. Thanks for joining us for this edition of January 12, 2024. And now here's our first story. Ian Roberts will be the keynote speaker at Des Moines Public Library's Martin Luther King event on Monday. Um, that event starts from is from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. on Monday at the Forest Avenue Library, which is located at 1326 Forest Avenue in Des Moines. Ian Roberts, the superintendent of Des Moines Public Schools and a former Olympian, will be the featured speaker. He has more than 20 years of experience in education. The after-school arts program will um, will be leading a collaborative art project that Georgia can participate in to celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. After introductions by the Friends of the Forest Avenue Library, Roberts will speak, followed by a question and answer session. Refreshments will be provided courtesy of the Forest Avenue Library uh, Brick Fund. All ages are invited to attend a program which will be held in the children's area of the Forest Avenue Library. Elsewhere in the business record, patience was the key in WB Realty's acquisition of Wells Fargo property. Realty, or, Realty owners firm said about the deal, we just waited. Kathy Bolton of the business record is the author of this article. For several months in 2023, Ryan Wilderstein thought he was out of contention to buy a West Des Moines office building that Wells Fargo was selling at a heavily discounted price. Wiederstein, the owner of Clyde-based WB Realty Company, had submitted a bid for the six-story, 415,000-square-foot office building at 7001 Westtown Parkway. That was lower than the other bids received by Wells Fargo. The company is shedding many of its central Iowa real estate holdings as it relocates employees to its 160-acre Jordan Creek campus. The financial institution accepted a higher bid from another group, pushing Wiederstein's offer to the sidelines. The winning bidder had hoped to convert the 23-year-old building into multi-family residences, Wilderstein said. However, the deal wasn't able to be finalized, and Wells Fargo again began looking for a buyer for the property. Wiederstein said, we just waited. When the second prospect backed out right before Thanksgiving, we were able to come back with our offer. The $16.5 million deal closed in 20 days after an agreement was reached with Wells Fargo to acquire the property. The short due diligence period was an unheard of time in a commercial real estate transaction, Wiederstein said. We had to move quickly because Wells Fargo wanted to close before the end of the year. We didn't have time to get an appraisal. We wanted title and property insurance on it, which isn't exactly like calling an insurance agent and asking to buy insurance in an afternoon. Some hiccups occurred during the due diligence period that gave Wiederstein pause, he said. Several people involved in the transaction were on vacation during the week leading up to the closing. Offices were closed one or more days between the Christmas and New Year's Day holidays, making getting paperwork completed a slow process. When it was time to finalize the deal, the office in which money was being wired had a power outage. Wiederstein said it was not a good time to close a deal. Wiederstein, who was some capital investors, paid cash for the 28.12-acre parcel that included an underground data center. The acquisition is the largest Wiederstein has made. 
is also in a commercial real estate section that is struggling. The COVID-19 pandemic sent many people who worked in offices home where they worked remotely. The return to working in the office has been slow, prompting some companies to shed unused office space. The new flexibility provo uh, provided to employees in where they work has also meant that there are fewer office users looking for space to lease. Those who are looking want smaller spaces. If you're trying to attract people back to the office and you're downtown now, you might have a better chance of getting people back if you bring your office to where they live, Wiederstein said. That's why I feel like the suburban market probably is going to come back better than downtown. He also believes that the competitive leasing rates he is offering will draw interest from companies considering leasing office space. Wiederstein and his investors paid Wells Fargo $16.5 million, considerably less than the property's success valuation of $73.2 million. Leasing options for potential tenants will range from 4,000 square feet up to the entire building for a single tenant. Wiederstein said, we bought the property at a price point that we think can be very competitive in a Class A office market in the western suburbs. If office is coming back anywhere, it's going to come back in the western suburbs. In 2023's third quarter, 19.1% of the over 8 million square feet of office space in the western suburbs was vacant, according to Cushman and Wakefield's market report. The average, ice, average asking rent for Class A space was $28.10 a square foot. Wiederstein said he expects to lease space in the building for up to $20 a square foot. He also said he hopes to have much of the building leased within the coming 18 to 24 months. The low acquisition price is allowing Wiederstein and his team to market space in the building for less than other spaces are being leased for in the area. The lower price has prompted several inquiries, including from out of state. The building needs few upgrades, said Dan Carlson, project and property manager and real estate agent for WB Realty. Wells Fargo has corporate standards that are far above what most property management companies have for the building maintenance, so the building is in pristine condition. The fitness center in the building will be kept as an amenity in the buildings uh, for the building's tenants, who will also have access to several large conference rooms. The building also includes a full kitchen and restaurant-style cafeteria that seats 450 people. Carlson said, we'll probably lease that space to someone that can serve the building and the public in that location. The transaction included a stipulation that allows Wells Fargo to continue to occupy the building for an additional 60 days, Wiederstein said. The financial institution will also continue using the data center until mid-2024. The 60-day period is providing WB Realty time to market the building and show it to potential tenants, said Brittany Freund, the firm's senior vice president of commercial real estate. The company is working with JLL's Des Moines office, which listed the property for sale. We're reaching back to folks who are interested in building when it's for sale and seeing what their interest level is in leasing space in it. An open house will likely be held in the spring, Freund said. Wiederstein added, I think we'll fill the building at a pretty good pace, but we're probably looking at 18 to 24 months as the market gets more stabilized. Developer gets the council nod uh, for plans for 19 industrial lots in Bondurant. 
This is a story written by Michael Crum of the Business Record. The Bondurant City Council has approved preliminary plans by Central Isle developers to develop 19 industrial lots south of U.S. Highway 65 on the city's northeast edge adjacent to the Bondurant Business Park. The plan by Paramount Land Development Company calls for the development of lots that include space for outside storage, said Jamie Myers, president of the company. Myers said that Paramount, which developed the Bondurant Business Park, purchased the nearly 80 acres of land a couple of years ago. It was still farmed up until this fall. Excavation for road extensions and sewer work will begin this spring. According to city documents, the new development will include lots ranging in size from about 0.8 acres to more than 8.5 acres. It's that flexibility that makes the site attractive for development, Meyer said. He said the initial plan is to do a build to suit for a company. If that's what the company wants to do, we leave it open. If they would like to buy and build their own, that's fine. But if they'd rather lease a facility, then we'll work with our architects and engineers to design a building that suits their needs and build it for them and lease it over a 10-year period or something with an option to renew. The property's location and the size of the lots makes it attractive for companies that need storage for equipment and supplies. Meyer said it is zoned M2, which is medium industrial, which allows us to sell to individuals or companies who have a need for outdoor storage, maybe a roofing company that needs to store things outside or a lumber company or a plumbing company that has a lot of pipe, or it could be a grading or excavation company that needs a yard for equipment, he said. The Bondurant City Council approved a preliminary plat for the site on January 2nd. The Bondurant Business Park Plat 1 is 11 lots, only two of which are available for development, Myers said. The proximity to Paramount's existing business park made development a new site a natural fit to extend roads and infrastructure because it joined a property we had already developed, Myers said. A large warehouse user was under contract to buy and develop the site, but they backed out as the economy changed, Myers said. So we're running out of lots, and we have an appetite from companies ranging from anywhere from over an acre and a quarter to five acres to up to ten acres that need parcels to build for the business. We've already got some interested parties that are already doing some due diligence on it for their own use. We are cautiously optimistic as we move forward that as we develop it here in the spring and get streets in and get transacting with some lots real soon. Myers said the site's visibility from the highway should make it attractive for companies looking to move or expand. It has visibility for companies who might have a need for a customer to find them, he said. Secondly, it has easy access for employees to get to work and back onto the highways, and then there's that outdoor storage potential. And again, that was an article written by Michael Crum, a senior staff writer at the Business Record. Haymarket Square is sold to an out-of-state entity. New owners plan on modernizing the shopping center. Kathy Bolton of Business Record wrote this article. An aged Northwest Des Moines shopping center has been purchased by a Kansas City area real estate company and development firm that plans to modernize the center and add restaurants and small retail stores in the surface parking lot. Haymarket Square, located on 27 acres on the northeast corner of Merle Hay Road and Aurora Avenue in Des Moines, includes a now vacant grocery store originally occupied by Dolls. Price Chopper, a grocery chain, grocery 
chain that took over the space closed the store in September 2022. Also included on the property are Office Depot and Northern Tool Plus Equipment. Scott Lipovac, the managing principal of SCORE Development in Overland Park, Kansas, wrote in an email, Over the years, there's been a lot of focus on newer suburban retail areas in the Des Moines metro, but the Murrow Hay Corridor is now experiencing momentum and revival, which we are excited to be a part of. SCORE Development is partnering with Kansas City-based Block Real Estate Services, LLC, on the acquisition and redevelopment of the 270,000 square foot Haymarket Square, uh, located at 4343 and 4371 Merle Hay Road. The investment group, through Haymarket Investors, acquired the property for $16.5 million. The property includes the vacant grocery store property, a one story retail center, and outlots on which buildings for restaurants are located. The property's total assessed value is over $24.5 million. Haymarket Square was built in phases beginning in the mid-1970s. Block Real Estate Services and SCORE Development are not strangers to the Des Moines market. Block Real Estate Services entered the Des Moines market in 2014 and now owns seven warehouse properties, two multifamily properties, two shopping centers, and several medical building properties in the area. The company partnered with Foch Brothers to redevelop the Equitable Building in downtown Des Moines from office to residential. The group is also involved in the redevelopment of the two Ruan Center. Aaron Mesmer, Executive Vice President, Development and Acquisition for Block Real Estate, said in an email, We really found Des Moines to be a strong market with great people. Both Black Real Estate Services and SCORE Development are involved in the redevelopment of West Town Center, which is located on 22nd Street in West Des Moines. Lipovac wrote in an email, We see a lot of resemblance between the two centers. The West Town Center, which is anchored by floor and decor, has undergone a multi-million facelift and many of its previously empty storefronts have been filled. Lipovac wrote that a similar renovation is planned in Haymarket Square. Plans include modernizing the center to create a more vibrant shopping atmosphere by adding new retail and restaurant buildings to an oversized parking field. In addition, the groups hope to bring new tenants to the center, which is about one-fourth of a mile north of Merle Hay Mall. There are plenty of things that we can change about a property, but most important to us is what we cannot change about a property, such as population density, traffic counts, and interstate access. Lipovac said. The Merle Hay Corridor and Haymarket Square check all those boxes, which is what attracted us to this opportunity. Hubble Realty Company will manage the Haymarket Square property for Black Real Estate and SCORE development. And once again, Kathy Bolt in the business record wrote that article. Springfield Plastics presents John Studdard Cancer Center with a $27,000 plus donation. Springfield Plastics, a plastic pipe manufacturer based in Iowa and Illinois, has donated more than $27,000 to the John Stoddard Cancer Center in Des Moines through its Drain for the Cure fundraiser, marking the second consecutive year of support. The funds will aid the young adult cancer program at the healthcare facility designed to address the unique needs of cancer patients ages 15 to 39 and improve their survival rates. Springfield's Drain for the Cure initiative 
has donated over $850,000 to cancer research since its inception 10 years ago. The American Civil Liberties Union of Iowa announces the Mannheimer Youth Advocacy Award winners, and they are Haley Bond, 17 years old, from Urbandale, and Gemma Block, 18 years old, from Ankeny, have been honored with the ACLU's Robert Mannheimer Youth Advocacy Award. The Mannheimer Award, named in tribute to Des Moines attorney and civil liberties advocate Robert Mannheimer, gives a $500 cash prize to young Iowans demonstrating passion for civil advocacy. Both recipients, actively involved in student-led advocacy groups, orchestrated student walkouts against Senate File 496, a law that prohibits most books depicting sex acts in grades K-12 through and restricts materials referring to gender identity and sexual orientation in grades K-6. through Key provisions of the law were recently blocked by a federal judge. The United States Department of Agriculture is accepting applications for climate change fellowships in Iowa. The USDA division is recruiting two climate change fellows in Iowa to address a surge in applications from farmers and rural businesses seeking funding for clean energy projects through the Rural Energy for America uh, program, whose acronym, uh, which the acronym is REAP. These positions, funded by the Federal Inflation Reduction Act, aim to support farmers expanding their use of clean energy with a total of 40 fellows being hired nationwide. Initial appointments may extend up to two years. Conference for Musicians and Industry Professionals is set for January 20th. The Des Moines Music Coalition has announced Music University, an annual conference and showcase for Iowa's music professionals, will be held on January 20th at XAXBK Live, a half-day event co-hosted by the Des Moines Music Coalition and XAXBK Live will feature industry panels on topics such as touring, building fan bases, artist incubators, career paths for non-musicians, and strengthening the Des Moines music scene. The conference includes a ticketed show by Cactus Blossoms and aims to mobilize and support the growing music industry in Des Moines and Iowa. And the event is free to attend, but registration is required. Governor Reynolds calls for more tax cuts, teacher pay increase, and her condition of the state address. Iowa governor also wants to see drop in business contributions to the state unemployment insurance system. This is a story written by Michael Mendehall. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds is urging state lawmakers to enact more income tax cuts this year, reduce unemployment insurance payments for businesses, and increase teacher starting pay by 50%. Reynolds made her latest policy pitches Tuesday night during her annual condition of the state address to members of the General Assembly at the state capitol building. The governor is calling for legislation that would lower the state's personal income tax rate to a flat 3.65% to go into effect this year and further reduce the rate to 3.5% in 2025. Reynolds' proposal accelerates and goes further than a bill enacted in 2022 that will simplify the state's income tax brackets from 9 to 1 and institute a flat 3.9% rate by 2026, a drop from the previous maximum rate of 8.9%. In her speech, Reynolds said, 
When the world descends in our state over the next week for the 2024 presidential Iowa caucuses, they're going to see one of the most livable, most affordable states in the country. They're going to see what it's like to be in a state that saves more than it spends, cuts taxes, and rewards economic growth and innovation, that orients its education system to students, parents, and teachers, where life is protected, family comes first, and community runs deep, Reynolds said. According to Reynolds, the latest tax bill would cut about $3.8 billion in taxes over the next five years. Under her proposal, the initial cut to 3.65% would be retroactive to January 1st, with the deeper cut to 3.5% happening next year. The governor touted a $1.83 billion state surplus at the end of 2023 with $900 million in reserve funds. Iowa's current tax law would drop the state's tax revenue by $1.9 billion per year when fully implemented, according to an analysis by the Nonpartisan Legislative Services Agency. The latest estimate for the state's 2024 tax receipts from, tax receipts from the Revenue Estimating Conference shows total expected general fund revenue after transfers is $9.59 billion down 1.3% for 2023. Personal income tax revenue is estimated to decline 6.7% from 2023 or by $80.8 million, according to the report. The Revenue Estimating Conference is expected to release another forecast near the end of the 2024 session. House Speaker Pat Grassley, Republican from New Hartford, told the business record in a January 4th interview before the governor's address that he was pretty confident the GOP majorities in the House and Senate would take more action on taxes this year. Grassley said, I think we're in a position through our budgeting and through our taxpayer relief fund that the House would be in a position where we want to look at speeding up those tax cuts to get money back in the hands of Iowans. In the Democratic response to Reynolds' address, an interview with Radio News Director O.K. Henderson, in Cedar Rapids Gazette, Des Moines Bureau Chief Aaron Murphy, the House Minority Leader Jennifer Confer said that Iowa taxpayers would see no benefit from the cuts. She said they're facing challenges with the economy. They're also facing budget challenges. What are we going to do for them? And so we want to make sure that we're also addressing the 500,000 Iowans who are being left behind with what the governor proposed tonight. And so we're going to be asking about them. We're going to be asking, what are we going to do to lower costs for these folks? Confirst criticized Reynolds for not proposing in her speech legislative efforts on affordable housing, child care, or utility costs, which many Iowa business groups and nonprofits have included in their 2024 legislative priorities as workforce development issues. Regarding the unemployment insurance payments, Reynolds also called for decreasing the amount of money Iowa businesses pay into that system per employee by one half. According to the governor, her plan would reduce payments from employers by $800 million over five years. Instead of paying money into the government, these businesses can create more jobs, increase salaries, or reinvest into their communities, Reynolds said. She pointed to Iowa's low unemployment rate, currently 3.3% according to Iowa Workforce Development, and the labor force participation rate, which sits at 68.1% of the state's total working age population, as rationale for the reduction. Reynolds said, 
We are the sixth highest labor force participation rate in the country, and Iowans are now spending on average less than 10 weeks in unemployment. That's the lowest rate in 56 years. Turns out good things happen when we promote work. Because so many Iowans are drawing a paycheck instead of a government check, our unemployment trust fund is full, Reynolds said. Reynolds also pushed a $96 million proposal to increase starting pay for teachers in Iowa to $50,000 annually and to set a minimum salary of $62,000 per year for teachers with at least 12 years of experience. Reynolds said that the plan would call for new money with the governor allocating an additional $10 million to merit-based grant program that will reward teachers who have gone above and beyond to help students succeed, she said. We want younger Iowans to see the teaching profession as something to aspire to. It's one of the highest callings one can have, so let's make sure that teacher pay sends that message, Reynolds said. These investments will put Iowa in the top five states for starting pay and help recruit more of the best and brightest to join the teaching profession, she said. Reynolds' push for more teacher pay appeared to get bipartisan applause in the legislators in the House chamber Tuesday night, but Confer said that Democrats want to see the details of the plan. She noted that Iowa Democrats have pushed for teacher pay increases in previous sessions. The minority leader said she'll be looking for how the proposal could affect paraprofessionals some of whom, she said, make $10 an hour and other school workers. Confer said it's new money, but where's that money coming from and what strings are attached? And so we think it's a great idea. It's a great headline to want to increase teacher pay. We want to know what else we're going to do to help teachers and who's all going to benefit from this bill. We've got to see the details. We love paying teachers more. We're big fans of it. Let's respect them for the professionals they are and leave them alone to do their jobs as well. Reynolds' education proposal also included a major reform for the state's nine area education agencies, which handle school special education funding. The governor's plan would end all other services other than special education support from the area education agencies, sometimes called AEAs. It would also give school districts the option to use AEA services or contract out to private providers. Schools would also receive state special education funding directly, according to Reynolds. The governor also said Tuesday that she's developed legislation with Iowa Secretary of Agriculture Mike Nag this session to enhance reporting and enforcement, increase penalties, and provide more transparency for land in Iowa that has been purchased for foreign buyers. Reynolds also voiced her support for legislation introduced Monday that would allow pregnant women covered by Medicaid to keep coverage for 12 months after the end of pregnancy, an increase in the 60 days currently allowed by Iowa law. And you're listening to this week's edition of the Business Record, the week of January 12, 2024. Our thanks to the folks at Business Publications for providing a copy of the Business Record to Iris so that we can read it for you. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, please give us a call at 515-243-6833. And now back to the business record. MidAmerican Energy has uh, bought land for a substation. The company purchased nearly seven acres of farm ground in Dallas County in which it plans on building a new electric substation. The energy company paid Hope 
K Farms. Nearly $1.8 million for the property is located south of Highway 44 and about one-fourth of a mile east of Southwest County Line Road, east of Grimes. Uh, Dallas County real estate records show the transaction was recorded on January 3rd. The property is adjacent to an existing transmission line that serves area customers. Jeff Greenwald, MidAmerican Energy spokesman, wrote in an email. He added, once companies, uh, I'm sorry, once complete, the new substation will complete future growth of new residential, commercial, and industrial customers and will also improve reliability for existing customers in the area. A timeline has not yet been established for construction of substation, but Greenwald said we can move forward with additional planning now that we have acquired the property. A shopping center in Clive has sold for $7.46 million. Kathy Bolton of the Business Record authored this article. A strip shopping center in Clive that once included Babies R Us and Joanne's Fabric Store has been sold. Polk County Real Estate Record Show. University Park Properties located in Clive paid WSO University Park Town or University Park, Iowa. $7.46 million for the property located on University Avenue in Clive. The property includes a 110,000-square-foot shopping center that was built in 1989. In the past decade, the center has lost many of its tenants. Between 2007 and 2010, the property, which includes 17 acres, was valued at between $13.5 million to $13.68 million dollars. Since then, the property's value has fallen by more than $9 million. In 2023, the property's value was $5.2 million. The transaction was recorded on January 3rd. In another real estate news, McCoy, located uh, McCoy at 8035 LLC, located in Clive, paid Batra Hospitality Group $5.89 million for property on Hickman Road in Clive. The property's owners, Jason Grove and Tina Smothers, plan on converting the former 115-room hotel to apartment units. The property is valued at $2.3 million. Anderson 4, which is located in Urbandale, paid Landmark Realty Group $1.7 million for property at 3601 and 3611 109th Street. The transaction also includes the sale of undeveloped property to the immediate north. The property on 109th Street includes a 27,636-square-foot, one-story office building that was built in 2000. That property is valued at $2.65 million. Grand Prix, or Grand Prix, I should say, properties located in Ankeny paid Accent Holdings Company $2.5 million for property on Rittenhouse Street in Des Moines. The 3.3-acre parcel also includes a 27,150-square-foot light industrial building built in 1996. The property is valued at $2.21 million. That transaction was recorded on January 2nd. And finally, in real estate news, the city of Pleasant Hill paid Beverly Patterson $1.45 million for property on Northeast 64th Street in Pleasant Hill. The 8.8-acre parcel includes farmland and a single-family house. Elsewhere in the January 12th edition of the Business Record, discussions are continuing over the future of an arena at Merle Hay Mall. 
Discussions are occurring this week about the future of a proposal to convert empty department space at Merle Hay Mall into an arena that would be home to the Des Moines Buccaneers, according to an Urbandale city official. Officials from the cities of Urbandale and Des Moines and from Polk County gave owners of the mall and the Buccaneers until December 31st to reach a finalized agreement or risk losing $26.5 million award from the Iowa Reinvestment District Program. Mall owners and the Buccaneers have been working on a finalized agreement for well over a year. To date, the interested parties involved in the Buccaneer Arena and Training Center are still in negotiations, and that's according to Curtis Brown, Urbandale's assistant city manager, and he wrote that in an email. He wrote that the cities and county expect to meet this week with representatives of the mall and hockey team to determine the future of the project as currently envisioned. Our joint recommendation to the Merle Hay uh, 28E board will be based on the outcome of meetings with all interested parties. Elizabeth Holland, the CEO of Merle Hay Investors, the group that owns the mall, and Michael Devlin, part of the Buccaneers ownership group, both have previously said they expect to reach an agreement that allows the project to move forward. Executive Director Search is underway for Des Moines Area MPO, the Des Moines Area Metropolitan Planning Organization, or sometimes referred to as MPO, announced the search for a new Executive Director in a news release. The position will lead regional transportation planning efforts, overseeing an anticipated $80 million investment in the Mobilizing Tomorrow Project and developing a comprehensive safety action plan. Over the past five years, the organization has invested $75 million in local transportation projects, and the new executive director, expected to start in April, will play a key role in shaping the region's long-range transportation plan. The search is being conducted by MPO's policy and search committees, as well as business strategist Cassie Hulls of To The Top and Diane Diebler of Diebler & Company, the salary range is between $135,000 and $170,000, and the job posting will be open until January 26th. Matera acquires boutique printer Brook Graphics. Matera, which is a national provider of print and marketing services, has acquired boutique printer Brook Graphics, a Chicago-based printing firm. The deal, which marks Matera's 22nd acquisition, is a part of the company's effort to expand services, according to a news release. The addition of Brook Graphics brings Matera, an experience in dye sublimation printing, as well as a wealth of expert employees, a local loyal customer base, and a strong national presence. And that's according to CEO John Trone, and he's made that statement and release. The acquisition was finalized on December 31st. West Des Moines has appointed a new city attorney and a deputy city attorney, Greta Truman, who has served as West Des Moines Council and Assistant City Attorney since 2014, has been appointed city attorney by the city council. Truman, whose appointment was effective on December 18th, replaces Richard Szynski, who retired in July after 22 years with the city. Truman previously served as a trial attorney and appellate attorney for the state of Iowa in the offices of the Special Defense Unit, Appellate Defender, Des Moines Adult Public Defender, and Fort Dodge Public Defender. She also was an administrative law judge for the Iowa Board of Parole. 
Truman received her bachelor's degree from the University of Northern Iowa and her law degree from the University of Iowa's College of Law. Her annual salary will be $173,516. In a related move, the council also approved adding the position of deputy city attorney in the city's legal department. The council appointed Jessica Grove to the position effective December 18th. Grove has been assistant city attorney for West Des Moines since May 2019. She previously served as assistant city attorney for the cities of Des Moines and Ames. She received her bachelor's degree from Iowa State and her law degree from the University of Iowa, and her annual salary will be $164,665. Kyle Gamble, who joined Hubble Realty Company in 1994 as a real estate broker, has been named the company's chief operating officer. The new position is in addition to Gamble's role as executive vice president, a position he was appointed to in 2021. Gamble is also a manager of the former CBRE Hubble Commercial Division. Gamble, whose appointment was effective on January 1st, will lead the West Des Moines-based Hubble Realty's operational and strategic initiatives, as well as oversee its 16 operating units. Rick Tolickson will continue to operate as Hubble's president and CEO, a position he's held since 2004. In other related news, Joel Petrosonic was named executive vice president of construction, building development, and management. He joined Hubble in, 20, in 2004. His expanded role includes overseeing Hubble Construction Services, Hubble Building Development, Indigo Living, and Hubble Property Management. Ashley Ost was named Senior Vice President, General Counsel. She joined Hubble in 2012 and has expanded her role to include legal, process improvement, and human resources. Rachel Flint was named Senior Vice President of Iowa Home Building and Land Development Operations. Flint, who joined Hubble in 2004, will oversee all Iowa-based Hubble home building operations, including Hubble Homes, Embark Signature Homes, and Origin Homes, she will also oversee HRC Association Management and Hubble Land Development. Dave Voltman was named Senior Vice President of Omaha Operations. He joined Hubble in 2018 and is overseeing Hubble's growth in Nebraska in the areas of home building, land development, and title operations. In his new role, Voltman will work with Hubble's building development on future multifamily and industrial projects in the Omaha area. Also, Steve Cambadilli was named Vice President, Chief Accounting Officer, Jim Sarcone, Vice President, Asset Management, Risk, Real Estate, Tax, and Golf, Russell Endress, Vice President, Asset Manager, and Finance, Matt Weller, Vice President, Building Development, Kimber Davis, Vice President, HRC Association Management, Suzanne Roche, Director of Operations at Hubble Homes, Nick Dolphins, Vice President of the Home Company, and Jessica Galvez, Regional Vice President in Nuevo Living. Hubble Realty Company is a 168-year-old real estate construction home building and management company. Shable Solutions holding DEI Executive Roundtable on January 19th. Shable Solutions, a consulting firm specializing in diversity, equity, and inclusion, in the workplace is set to host a virtual roundtable from 12 to 1 p.m. on January 19th. The discussion will explore the landscape influencing DEI efforts, diversity, equity, and inclusion, offering insights on future planning for managers and strategies for navigating 
potential risk and pre-registration is required for attendees. Mom's Meals, a provider of home-delivered meals for beneficiaries of Medicare and Medicaid, has appointed Catherine Tong to the newly created position of Chief Commercial Officer. The position is part of a series of updates reported in a recent press release, including an expanded menu and a website redesign. Tong, whose previous experience included healthcare consulting and an executive role at U.S. Renal Care, Renal Care, will be responsible for market strategy and advancing the organization's food as medicine program. At a time when we are facing an epidemic of nutrition-related chronic disease, medically tailored meals are a proven, powerful tool for treatment and prevention of diabetes, chronic kidney, chronic, chronic kidney disease, chronic heart failure, and many other conditions, according to Tong, and she said that in a prepared statement. A bill introduced on the first day of the Iowa legislature's new session would allow pregnant women covered by Medicaid to keep coverage for 12 months after the end of pregnancy. Only three states, including Iowa, have not extended postpartum Medicaid for a full year. Currently, Iowa law allows for 60 days of coverage after pregnancy ends. Advocates say longer coverage would help thousands of women annually to manage postpartum complications and other issues. Similar legislation has advanced in recent years but has never made it to Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds' desk. No hearing date was immediately set for a House Study Bill 500. April Schmoltz has been named the CEO and President of Delta Dental of Iowa, the company announced. The announcement comes after completion of a national search. Schmaltz replaces Jeff Russell, who left the company in May to become president and CEO of Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Nebraska. Schmaltz was Dental Dental of Iowa's interim co-CEO and senior vice president of sales and marketing during the national search for new CEO and president. Rowena Crosby, Rowena Crosby, I'm sorry, chair of Delta Dental of Iowa's board, said in a prepared statement, April's strong track record of providing strategic leadership along with her experience in the healthcare and financial services industries made her the unanimous choice of the board. Schmaltz's background provides a unique perspective of understanding the needs of members, providers, brokers, and employers. Schmaltz has worked at Delta Dental of Iowa since 2014, leading sales, marketing, and product development. She has more than 25 years of experience in executive leadership, strategy, and new business growth. Uh, Schmaltz has a bachelor's degree from St. Mary's University and a master's of business administration from Iowa State. And now we turn to the Elbert Files, and the headline here is Caucus Polls. The Elbert Files is a column, opinion column written by David Elbert of the Business Record. And he writes, do you read the fine print, asked my friend Casey when I saw him standing inside Jane Jamais Plence's nomadic sculpture in the John and Mary Pepajan sculpture park. It seemed an odd question given that the oversized stainless steel letters that form a 25-foot tall depiction of a crouching child are anything but small. Plence has said the letters represent building blocks for the words and ideas that shape events. Nobody reads the fine print, I said. At my age, I have enough trouble reading big print. KC said, I agree, but there's one exception, he said, smiling. What is it, I asked. Political polls. If you read the small print that describes how a poll was conducted and who was interviewed, you can learn a lot. Give me an example, I said. 
Take the latest Iowa poll, he said, the one that shows 51% of Republican caucus goers say they will back Donald Trump. I said, I find that hard to believe. You are not alone, Casey said. Even Republicans have a hard time believing 51% of their fellow party members are so clueless that they would support an accused criminal, proven liar, and someone facing sexual misconduct allegations for president. And they're probably right, he added. I can't imagine any of my Republican friends thinking that nominating Trump would be anything but a disaster. But that's not what the poll says, he continued, and the Iowa poll has a great track record. Now I'm really confused, I said. What exactly does the poll say? It says that 51% of Republican caucus goers want to nominate Trump emphasizing the words caucus scores. The thing that most people don't understand is that caucus scores represent fringe fac uh, factions. It doesn't matter if it's Republicans or Democrats. Historically, the people who attend Iowa's presidential caucuses have always been more radical than their parties as a whole, especially Republicans in recent years. Just look at the last three caucus winners, Mike Huckabee, Rick Santorum, and Ted Cruz, he continued. Do you even remember who any of them are? So, I said, where can I find this fine print? It's usually at the end of the news story, under heading that says something like, About this poll, it tells you how and when the poll was conducted and who was interviewed. For the most recent Iowa poll, it says more than 3,700 people were contacted by telephone and narrowed down to a core group of 502 registered voters who said they will definitely or probably attend the 2024 presidential caucuses. If you're a Republican who won't attend a caucus, even if you're undecided about attending a caucus, you don't get asked about Trump or any of the other candidates. You have to say you will definitely or probably attend a caucus to get asked the real poll questions. Why the tight screen, I asked, because they want the people they interview to replicate as close as possible the group that will show up on caucus night. If you're not going to caucus, and most Republicans won't, they don't care what you think about Trump or Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis. And even those 502 people they interviewed probably aren't as radical as the people who will actually show up caucus night because it includes people who say they will probably attend a caucus. History shows that most people who say they will probably attend don't actually go. It's the really hardcore people who go to caucuses and pick presidential candidates, he said, as he walked away from the sculpture that made, if not sense, at least a sensible image. And again, that's an opinion column written by David Albert, a columnist for the business record. That's where from the January 12th edition of Business Record, lawmakers, business groups outline agendas and predictions for the 2024 session. Iowa lawmakers returned to Capitol Hill in Des Moines on Monday to gavel in the 2024 legislative session with tentative agenda that could have implications for businesses, state income taxes, child care aid, affordable housing, large-scale development, and a host of other issues. In the weeks leading up to the year's session, the business record interviewed Iowa House and Senate leadership, covered their public comments in central Iowa trade organizations and nonprofits, and sat down with business groups to get a sense of what the key debate and policy changes could be. Uh, the business record then has uh, interviews that they've done with the Iowa House GOP leader. Um, business groups focus on increasing uh, workforce during the 2024 20, session. 
lawmakers' predictions priorities for the 2024 session and five topics for Iowa women allies to watch as the legislature convenes. So let's take a look at uh, lawmakers' predictions and priorities for the 2024 session. It's a focus on taxes, child care, and large-scale development. Mike Mendelhall of the Business Record wrote this article. Iowa lawmakers return to Des Moines to start the 2024 legislative session. Republicans will almost certainly drive the agenda as they maintain their supermajority hold on both chambers and the governor's office, while Democratic leaders say they will continue to push their own priorities and not are just up there to vote no. The business record spoke with lawmakers and covered their comments in the Central Iowa Business Organizations. And the following are compila- compilations of these interviews. First up is Representative Megan Jones, a Republican from Sioux Rapids. She said the biggest issue she faced is while trying to gain support from her GOP colleagues to make more state child care available is explaining what modern child care is like. It seems so simple, right? These are the people who watch their kids, so much more than that. It crushes my mama heart every time I hear one of my colleagues say, well, Lifeguards watch 20 kids at a time. Why can't these child care providers? It's a totally different job. You can't just compare those professions. Jones said this during a panel discussion December 14th at the United Way of Central Iowa's annual legislative advocacy agenda event. It's a different skill set. The District 6 Republican who chairs the Iowa House Administrative Rules Review Committee introduced several pieces of legislation during the 2023 session aimed at Iowa's child care ecosystem, which many Iowa business groups consider a key factor in workforce development. During the United Way panel discussion, Jones appeared ready to make another push. One bill she proposed would permanently extend a COVID-19 pandemic-era rule that allows centers to receive state child care assistance reimbursement based on enrollment numbers and not be penalized for child absences. According to Dave Stone, United Way of Central Iowa Advocacy Officer, the state currently allows a child care center six absences per month before state reimbursement payments are reduced. Jones said after COVID-19 rules expired, she spoke with the director of a child care center in her house district who was spending hours counting sick leave for toddlers in order to comply with the reimbursement program. Jones said, we definitely need to reevaluate that program. It worked well during COVID. Let's learn from what we all went through, Jones said. She also has introduced legislation that would extend an Iowa Department of Health and Human Services pilot program that automatically enrolls child care centers for state assistance. Jones, a mother of five school-aged children, said her household, which includes two working parents, relies on child care. Jones said she supports more infrastructure grants to expand child care centers, particularly in rural and small communities. But we can't expand if we don't have workers there, Jones said, and so we do need to make their wages more competitive. According to United Way, 76% of Iowa households with children younger than six years old have all available parents working, and the average child care cost per month is $1,100. In $22. During the 2023 session, the legislature raised the income threshold for families to qualify for child care assistance to 160% of the federal poverty level. That's up from 145%. Iowa lawmakers also increased the reimbursement rate to child care centers last year by 7%, but 
Child and Families of Iowa CEO Janice Lane, who appeared on the United Way panel with Jones, said that the rate is still too low for child care facilities to pay workers a livable wage, offer advancement opportunities, and effectively compete with other industries for workers. The average child care worker in the state makes $10.76 per hour, according to United Way. Jones has also supported legislation to exempt child care workers from paying state income tax. They don't make a lot of money anyway, but whatever tax you would stop collecting from them is going to mean the absolute world to them, Jones said. Now, uh, Senate Minority Leader Pam Yocum, a Democrat from Dubuque, she said that the Democrats, uh, Senate Democrats' goal in the 2024 session is to work with Republicans to move an agenda forward that can reduce the cost of living in the state of Iowa and addresses affordable child care and housing. During a lawmaker panel discussion December 12th at the Greater Des Moines Partnership's 2024 State Legislative Leadership Breakfast, Yoakum said she expects legislation that will increase eligibility for Iowa's child care assistance program, change the income requirement from 160% of the federal poverty level to 200%. She also wants to see state policy that will allow child care centers to increase pay and provide workers a living wage. Yoakum said, now if our kids are our most valuable resource, I would think we would want to pay them a wage that reflects their value. Next up, House Assistant Majority Leader David Young, and he's a Republican from Van Meter. Young said during the partnerships panel discussion that the legislature will have a vociferous debate on further action to reduce taxes during the 2024 session. It's kind of like tax limbo, you know? How low can you go and at what rate and what speed, Young said. He told the business record after the event that members are also waiting to hear what Reynolds could say about tax issues in our annual condition of the state address. But proposals in the 2024 session could include further reducing Iowa's tax rates or accelerating the timetable to reach 3.9% more quickly, Young said. Young said, the goal here is the most responsible manner, make sure that we're going to give back as much as we can to those who earn those dollars, that's the taxpayers and the workers. Young said he expects the legislature to revisit the major economic growth attraction program that would provide incentives to large companies outside Iowa, including biosciences, advanced manufacturing, and research and development groups to move into or expand in Iowa. We believe that we should uh, revisit that, Young said, during the panel ship's partnership dis uh, panel discussion maybe tweak a little bit or maybe have a two-tier system where you have these giant sites and then maybe some more regional sites and some more rural areas to kind of spread that out statewide in rural metropolitan areas. The program would provide state support to projects that would develop 250-acre-plus sites and bring in $1 billion in investments so we can take advantage of the workforce that's out there that's wanting to work and match them with those skills and apprenticeships a lot of jobs that are out there that we need to fill, Young said. Uh, and finally, from uh, House Minority Leader Jennifer Confress, a Democrat from Windsor Heights, she said that the Iowa House Democrats have a proactive agenda for the 2024 legislative session, and her minority party is not just up there to vote no. It's about putting aside division and trying to actually get something done. So this year we're focusing on additional ways to help Iowans lower costs, 
We think it's a big problem, one that takes more than one solution. So we're looking at everything to lower costs and making sure that everyone recognizes the benefits and is able to enjoy the fruits of those reductions and costs in their lives. She said that Democrats in the Iowa House have introduced legislation to expand a first-time home buyer's assistance program, as well as a grant program to help people invest to remain in their homes. Conference said this during an event that she was uncertain if the Republican majority would take up the bills. The GOP currently holds a 64 to 36 seat majority over Democrats in the House, and according to Conference, Iowa will need 25. Thousand new housing units in Iowa by 2030 across rural, urban, and suburban communities. A lot of those expenses are so high that people can't afford them, but when you put them out over the course of a grant program, we can help people knock down those costs, get new windows, get a new roof, stay in the neighborhood, and keep their home nice, she said. And you've been listening to the January 12th edition of the Business Record here on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicap. I'm Pat Steele, and thank you for sharing your time with IRIS.